Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. I'm Kalen, and I'm one of your hosts today. We actually have three additional hosts today. We got Phil Vallejo, we have Rudy Gonzor, and we have Alex Hartman from Ridgeline Defense. So we're really pumped to have these guys on board. So uh, if you're joining us for the first time, just a brief overview of what the Modern Day Sniper podcast is. Um, we are dedicated to discussing the most up-to-date and relevant information that surrounds the lifestyle and the journey of the modern-day rifleman. doesn't matter if you're a military or law enforcement professional, a long-range shooting enthusiast, a hunter, or a precision rifle competitor. You're listening to this podcast because you're dedicated to the craft, and like us, you are forever students on the endless journey of becoming the most well-rounded rifleman that you can be. And with that being said, what's going on, Ridgeline? What's happening, boys? Oh, man, just surviving the snowstorm up here again. You guys are it's having April, snow? We just got like, yeah, we just got like eight inches of snow up here in New Hampshire, so. That's not fun it's it was wild. it's gonna be like 74 here today <laughs> uh, just afraid and oh no i was alone and unafraid i don't know i'm, I'm yeah. afraid you're afraid <laughs> i'm afraid so, and alone so hey guys um we got rudy and alex and both of you guys if you could just give some background on on who you are what it is that ridgeline is and and what it is that you guys do cool uh so my name is Alex Hartman. Uh, just like uh, pretty much, this is an entirely Marine-heavy podcast. Uh, so started off the Marine Corps, uh, was uh, out, uh, first battalion of the Marines as a scout sniper, and then uh, kind of finished up my time there as chief scout. And then in 2013, uh, the very end of 2013, early 2014, uh, just I saw sort of the writing on the walls. Deployments were drying up. Um, and started looking over at uh, greener pastures on the other side of the fence. So uh, I got out and uh, moved or attempted to move over to the Army, had a kind of a turbulent exit as that went. But uh, I ended up um, <clears throat> joining uh, a guard unit uh, out here in Rhode Island, which is where I met uh, Dave Seymour, who's another one of our, our instructors at Ridgeline, and then ended up meeting uh, Rudy um, when he got there and uh it was sort of like you know our, our wives joke that we're like heterosexual life partners but uh it was as soon as as soon as like we like we, like got to know each other i mean Rudy was just like hey man i have a great idea like let's go do all these shoots and all these competitions and and have a great time doing stuff with bolt guns and we were just uh kind of full blown after that so uh ridgeline started um actually right about that same time and uh our whole sort of mission set is or, or so our our, uh, our mission statement is, is really to uh, better defend you know America through the the training and equipping of uh, everyone from our our government our military guys that come through to our law enforcement first responders and then down to uh, the civilian shooters that uh, that live every day in our community. So uh, we you know we're kind of focused a little bit more on our uh, our government clients. It's kind of who or just how things shook out for us. Uh, but we we are sort of a full service uh, training company as that goes. Um, and I'll let Rudy kind of give his background. Right on, man. Hey guys, uh, yeah. So some of people might already kind of know me a little bit, but uh, for those that don't, um, so my background: I also started out in the Marine Corps. Uh, started out as a rifleman in uh, First Battalion, First Marines. And uh, I spent uh, kind of my first enlistment in the Marine Corps, and then after my first deployment there, I kind of 
started looking at other options uh, within the special operations community. And long story short, I eventually ended up in uh, the Army Special Operations Program uh, as a Green Beret. And uh, it wasn't actually until then that I got into, I guess, sniping uh, as a vocation. Uh, to that point, I'd always been a rifleman. And even the first bit of my stint on the operational detachment was mostly as a uh, direct action you know, I kind of more of a salting side of the house. Uh, and then eventually I moved into a sniper billet, uh, and I did that for a time. Uh, that's kind of where I really fell in love with, like, long-range uh, interdiction. And uh, eventually had some pretty good deployments, and I moved over to uh, the schoolhouse uh, where I taught uh, Special Forces Sniper course um, along with some other subsidiary courses, uh, squad designated marksman course, and hard target interdiction course. Uh, and I did that up until about 2015. On uh, the back end of 2015, uh, I kind of came over back to the East Coast, and uh, that's actually where I met Dave Seymour. <laughs> Everybody knows Dave Seymour. And uh, that's uh, how I kind of met Alex and fell in with Ridgeline. And kind of, we had a lot of mirror and goals. Um, so for me and us in general, you know, a lot of our focus is kind of around like giving back to the sniper community, uh, kind of continuing to breed uh, gunfighting skills, you know, from a martial intent, uh, both for LE, uh, MIL, OGA, and, you know, everyday citizens. We are, you know, essentially and have always will be you know, a nation of riflemen. And that's, that's kind of what our goal passions is kind of united and that's how Ridgeline got created and is what it is today. That's awesome, man. I mean, you guys like Rudy, Rudy and I met, um, uh, at, at first group Sodic when it was, when it was still called Sodic and, um, man, like, well, you, yeah, you were teaching and you came out to a class or no, we, we actually met at Oregon sniper challenge for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We right. met way back then. Uh, like I think 2013. Yeah. yeah. Uh, over at Steve's place there. Yeah, man. It's been even like in, it seems it's like seven years ago, but it's like, it's like a lifetime ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that was actually one of my first, uh, yeah, I think that was my first competition I ever competed in. Um, yeah, that was a fun match. Was, actually, there's a lot of a lot of dudes out there. Uh, there Scott was there. Frank was there. Yeah. Jake was out there. There's a bunch of dudes. Uh, yeah, that was time. like the that was really like the genesis of that time frame. Anyways, was really the genesis of like the mainstream competitions, and you know it was unfortunate for Steve because um, it was difficult for him to continue uh, down that path with, I think he ran like one or two more events after that. And then it just kind of mm -hmm. petered out because, you know, the, the, the bigger leagues started taking over and, and more and more people started competing in other areas. And, and it was kind of like, you know, I, I felt kind of bad because it was it, the, the intent was that what to give snipers an opportunity to just show up and train amongst peers that had similar equipment, similar, similar training backgrounds. And that way it was just a giant learning experience. And 
you know, I think it definitely served its purpose. And Steve did a lot of great things for the community to bring people together. So, um, and for those of you guys who don't, uh, his name is Steve Heisman. He's, uh, he's out of Portland, Oregon. Um, fantastic patriot, great American. And he's just uh, a, a super awesome dude. Now he just, now he's a, he's a skydiver and he's a surfer. So yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a dream. Yeah. Mad respect for Steve, man. Uh, he started, I've been running uh, the new England PRS uh, regional match up here for a couple of years now. And now that I'm on kind of the other side of being a match director, I'm like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of effort, man. So that's a lot. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks Steve for all those years. So guys, we have, um, we're, we're here to talk about some, some more, I guess, kind of, um, uh, some philosophy, um, some philanthropy, I suppose you could call it, but we're, we're going to talk about stuff like, uh, knowledge within context. Um, we want to talk about like gunfighting, teaching gunfighting and how we can draw from our current pool of, of expertise to increase gunfighting capabilities and talk about like finding the right instructor and, and vetting, vetting your instructor because there are so many out there right now. And it's kind of like uh, it's like saturating, saturating everything. And it's really hard to kind of sift through, well, who's got the good information and who's bringing the heat to the, to the class that you're going to be able to draw the most from. And so Rudy, like, go for it, man. Cause I know that you, you, you said you wanted to talk about knowledge within context and just jump in and, and let's, let's talk about it. I think it's a great subject. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a deep subject. That's probably gonna have lots of tangents coming off of it, but it's perfect. You know, it's, it's, uh, this, this idea of, of knowledge within context of a specific, you know, ideal is it's this recurrent theme and, with all these different instructors with you guys, um, like we have this conversation like once a week. And I guess I kind of wanted to bring it up um, mainly because like I want people to, to kind of start thinking about, you know, where they want to go. Um, and it's, that's really an important aspect of, you know, just a basic start point of like, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go learn? Who do you want to teach you? Um, Cause you know, if you can get really great teaching, but if it's not in the context in line with, you know, what you're trying to do, you're going to be, you know, wasting your money or your effort, which you know, nobody, nobody really wants to do that to begin with. Um, so for me, you know, trying to help guys understand, you know, training specifically within context, choosing instructors in context is, is really important because once you match that up, what you want to do, you can go a lot further. And as you mentioned, like we're kind of living in this golden age of, you know, marksmanship and rifle training. There's so many options out there and there's a lot of good instructors. Um, but yeah, if you pair yourself with the wrong instructor, cause you're, you know, you're trying to learn something, but they're not actually have knowledge and that base that you're trying to learn. And, you know, it can be really demoralizing. Um, so for me, like, um, like I guess the hit on like what we do. So as mentioned earlier, um, a lot in the simplest terms, gunfighting is what Ridgeline mostly focuses our instruction and training on. Um, we generally focus on, you know, all the different disciplines. We're kind of mostly well known right now for our precision rifle, um, mainly because myself, Alex, um, 
Dave, like Dale, uh, there's all the instructors on staff, like almost everybody's a sniper. So like, we just love it. Like it just breathes, mm-hmm. <laughs> breathes precision stuff. But we also do carbine, uh, combative carbine, uh, combative pistol and stuff. A lot of that stuff. And also vehicle work. So a lot of people, um, don't really recognize that we're actually one of our major strategic business partners is the Team O'Neill Rally School, which is literally right across the street. And so we help facilitate a lot of uh, the tactical side of their training that they do. So although they're a rally school, one of their biggest clients is uh, OGA and Mill, the guys that come through that course, learning how to drive basically shitty cars uh, on shitty roads in shitty countries uh, to do shitty things to shitty people. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff in there. That was um, perfect, but, perfectly put. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like they're – between us and them, you know, we're pulling between, you know, I think 1,500 to 2,000 you know, students a year that are coming wow. through there. And uh, it's, again, it's a martial intent. Like, we're not necessarily, you know, teaching like long range hunting, you know, like the four legged kind, or we're not teaching like PRS per se. There's a lot of crossover and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But like our intent in the context in which we teach is, you know, a combative format uh, with martial intent. Um, and so that's kind of, that's our bread and butter, you know, like, well, what, what do we want to take uh, from everything and put it all together in a structure uh, that allows you to build kind of no matter where you are. Uh, that's one of our, our real hallmarks that we do is we do a lot of process mapping, um, process mapping with an intent uh, for gunfighting, uh, because when it comes down to all these different things, like when we start looking at whether you're going to be you know, a successful long-range hunter or a successful competitor or a successful gunfighter, um, there's certain process flows that happen, and they're different depending on the context and what you're going to do. Same emphasis that you apply you know, in you know, PRS, it may not necessarily cross over uh, when you start talking about gunfighting versus also you cross over into long-range hunting. And so what we like to do is kind of structure our curriculum, you know, in a format that allows you to build and develop process uh, specifically for gunfighting. Uh, that's, that's a huge piece. Um, and it starts with like these foundational concepts. Um, so I, I am truly one of the, uh, like, I guess you'd say a foundational fanatic um, because what you start to realize, like once you get, into the upper end of, you know, competitive shooters or professional gunfighters or whatever, you realize that they're not really doing anything different than what somebody's doing when they're learning the fundamentals to begin with. What they're doing is they've refined their process and they're able to apply those same fundamentals that you learn as a new shooter. And they're just able to apply that in an efficient flow and that's what allows them to get hits on target quickly. And on the battlefield, that's what increases your lethality and your survivability. For sure. It's, that's, that's important because that also drives curriculum development. Like you have to, you have to have context in order for you to drive curriculum development and make sure that you're, that you're focusing your efforts on the end state, on the end goal. And, um, we just like, I was just a, a friend of mine, Chad Chalky, who also owns a training company in Texas. He just posted a video and he, it's just like, he's like, look, man, I've trained with a lot of the greats in the industry um, in terms of like, 
pistol shooting and, and combat shooting. And he was a, he's a first force guy. Um, and he's like, look, shooting is shooting, right? It's, it's shooting is shooting, but then you have to be able to have the intuition to be able to take those specific aspects of, of shooting and then apply them to specific situations based upon the context. Yeah, that's like a hundred percent. Like it's, it's like when I talk about uh, a lot of times with my students, like about fundamentals of marksmanship is a perfect example. You know, whether you're shooting a pistol, whether it's a shotgun, a carbine, or a long gun, you will always have to account for you know your body position, side alignment, side picture, trigger control, breathing. Like none of those things ever change, but the context in which you apply them, it's going to be different with a shotgun, right? Your side picture is not going to look the same versus with a magnified optic behind a rifle. Um, you know, like, so those things, you know, taking, you can learn a lot of things, but a lot of people kind of lack this understanding of how to put things in context. Um, so it's a kind of unfortunate thing that I think we've all seen various, uh, you know, instructors across this community. It's, we're kind of coming, it's kind of petering out a little bit, but there was kind of a phase here for a while where there was a lot of, uh, you know, instructors, air quotes, um, people that were, you know, starting classes or whatever, and it would just be kind of this regurgitation of information from whatever they learned. And while it might be true, and actually a lot of it actually isn't, as we kind of found out, this was something that, um, you know, my time as an instructor uh, at the Special Forces Sniper Course, like, it was really eye-opening uh, for me how much information that you and I had been taught initially when I went through school, uh, how much of it was kind of incorrect or inaccurate. And it just, some of it just would keep on getting regurgitating and be put out in a manual somewhere. And so then, you know, it gets taught back in a class. And then for me, when I started teaching, it's like when I thought, I remember like when I first started teaching, I thought I was, I thought I fucking knew something, right? Like, and uh, then after spending like my first class and I had like students asking me like more in-depth questions about things like, well, why is it is in this way? And, you know, when you're sitting in front of, when you're sitting in front of a bunch of like green berets, like the answer to the question should never be, you know, I don't know, or, you know, that's outside the scope of like this period of instruction. Like you need to have an answer. Yeah. And so it really forced me to start deep diving like some of these things that, you know, had been kind of in the curriculum and be like, well, you know, this isn't necessarily true or we don't have better ways to solve for this. You really kind of opened my eyes up to how much information is just being spit back out, especially in the civilian sector. Uh, again, you have so many options out there and you've got some people that are out there that are teaching stuff. Like that's almost like they're literally reading directly out of like, um, annual and you know that's great it may be true it might not be true but either way like if it's not in context for what you're trying to do and either they can't understand that or you can't understand it and it's an incredible waste of effort and that's like what i really try to help dudes avoid i think um you know one of the things that uh, i had uh, someone reach out and they're about to uh start an instructor billet and they asked me some uh, a few you know Hey, do's and do nots. And one of the you know best piece of advice or one of the pieces of advice that I gave him after, you know, doing three or four years of teaching was like you just said, I, 
I told him, I was like, question everything that you've been taught. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Like, everything like, you know, even, even the shit that I taught you, it's like you question it and, and find your own truth about it because you know, um, like you said, I, and I always tell this to people is like millennials made me a better instructor because they would ask fucking why, uh, at, uh, the schoolhouse. And, yeah. you know, it, we couldn't just, I couldn't just be like, cause that's just the way it is. You know, uh, like I was regurgitated to when I was a young, uh, Lance corporal and stuff like that. Um, so me wanting to go out there and find the, the deeper meaning of what the hell I was teaching, uh, really started to unfold that, holy shit, everything that, you know, kind of I was taught has just been a regurgitation of, you know, what's been in our manual for the last, I don't know, 40, 50 years since it's, you know, since it's written back in Vietnam. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely, I'm definitely on the same page with that. And, and another thing too, I think in everyone in this group of, in this audience right here, um, can see through, those instructors that are just reading from a manual or a pamphlet that they were, you know, handed down or maybe something they have, they have memorized. Um, and I see it all the time on, on, on social media, like guys that are just, just regurgitating stuff that I mean, I was taught back when I first started. Um, and you know, I, I still hold true to some of that stuff. Um, but I try to put it in my own words rather than just regurgitate, you know, what the, what the stuff was, um, you know, back in the day. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of stuff to wade through. Like those of you who are listening out there, like that's really one of the advantages of being smart about like picking your instructor. Um, most, if an instructor is actually worth their salt, you know, they've already waded through most of the bullshit that's out there. Um, like I'm just, I'm having flashbacks right now. I'm talking about like 40, 50 years worth of, uh, stuff and i just remember uh that first group we used to have what's called the i drive and it was like this there's a shit essentially a shared drive from the network and different uh specialties would have you know different knowledge bases and that high drive is just full of i mean, i won't say it's absolutely shit but like there's so much stuff like decades decades of information that um, you know, and again, some of it's true, you know, like it's not say that it's all garbage. Like for example, you know, fundamentals of marksmanship, that stuff never changes, right? Like that's pretty foundational, but the ways in which we teach it to you know, other people, um, that's the big one. You know, we're getting even more and more efficient at, it. uh, tripods is an awesome example. Um, it's, like, it's one that comes up a lot. Like I was initially taught, uh, in my basic, uh, sniper course, you know, you know, this is tripod. This is how you shoot off of it. And, you know, you can be like, oh, yeah, you know, we've been shooting off a tripod since black powder. Like, it's not new. It's not a new concept. Um, but actually, uh, when I came out to your course, Kaylin, uh, it was like a fundamental, uh, basic fundamentals course. That I, came I think out it was like a precision it's like long range 101 or something like that. I think yeah. I had it called when I was teaching at Magpul. Yeah, it was, uh, I came out, I remember coming out and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, this is like a basic fundamental course. Like, is it really worth my time? Like, go out. And I was like, the other me kind of like stepped off the sign and was like, yo, like, there's always something to learn. Like, okay, bitch. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. So like, I went out and that one course, like my biggest takeaway from it was how to shoot off a tripod, like properly, like while applying fundamentals. And it was such a simple, but like for me at that point in my professional development, it was, 
incredible game changer. Um, and you still, I bring that up as a good topic because it's, it's one I just perpetuate. People are like, oh yeah, I know how to shoot a tripod. And put the gun on top of the tripod and put it on a tire and pull the trigger. And it's like, yeah, but no. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's some fine minutiae in there. Uh, and again, going back to the teaching part, like that's something that we're always kind of working at doing a development here at Ridgeline. Like if you come to a fundamentals course, you know, last year and you come to another one this year, it's going to be similar I guarantee it's not going to be exactly the same. It, like, yep. We're it, always looking at different ways to teach, um, you know, kind of building off of like those four like fundamental like concepts of adult learning, right? You know, some people are going to learn through actually doing Some people want to see it drawn out. Some people want to see it demonstrated. Some people just need to hear it and that clicks with them. Um, and so that's, that's a huge part of, you know, context, you know, how, who am I teaching? What am I teaching? How does it apply to them? You know, how are they going to learn it? Yeah. I think the, the one thing that, that I see the most is, um, you know, Phil and I talk about all the time, the, the regurgitation is a big one. Um, and then I think some people can get kind of like starstruck, so to speak, with somebody's background as a, as an instructor in this industry. And it's like, Oh, well, this dude has all of these tabs and he's been here and he's done that. And, you know, done all this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, that's fine. But what are you going to go to that specific person for? They're usually going to have some sort of a niche, right? They're usually going to have some sort of like, hey, this is me. This is what I do. But just because somebody was a gunfighter for 10 plus years and did a bunch of deployments, that doesn't mean that they know how to communicate what's inside their brain to you. And that is, that's something that is extremely important for people to consider and understand is that, um, you know, a lot of people have gotten out of the, of the military and said, oh, well, I'm just going to go teach. I'm going to go teach what I know. And people are going to come to my course because of my credentials and my background, or, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a soft guy, or I'm a MARSOC guy, or I'm a Marine sniper. Or, and it's like, I don't ever want to say like, you know, like, yeah, man, if you, if that's what you want to do and you really are a truly passionate instructor and you want to make that transition, Phil and I talked this in the past too, making the transition between being an instructor and a teacher, because mm -hmm. I definitely think that there's a difference. And I, you know, from the military standpoint, like it's very much in your face and like you're being spoken to, um, you know, you're being directed to, to listen. And it's obviously it's very militant because that's what it is. But when you come out of that, like you, you definitely have to develop your own style. You have to develop your own, um, your own way of communicating with people because it's not always going to be the same. And you can't always just use the same words over and over and over again, reading off of a PowerPoint slide. Like I, I'm like, I, I use, there's one PowerPoint presentation that I use. That's it. I don't use PowerPoint presentations because the way I look at it is if I need a reference to teach it, you don't know it well enough. Like there's, there's certain aspects of it that, that if, like, if I'm going to teach something, I need to know that to the point where I can speak about it intelligently and be able to explain it to like 90% of the people out there without the aid of reference. Like I should be able to use words. 
I should be able to use drawings. I should be able to use sketches to be able to communicate that, that information. Now, granted, you know, there's PowerPoint stuff for like photos and like talking about like urban hides or, or things to that effect, like that require detailed photography to, to communicate those concepts. But outside of that, man, like you need to develop your own, your own way. You need to develop your own style of teaching and communicating. And it's just not like, okay, like the one thing we see all the time, parallax, like people talk about parallax. Well, parallax is the apparent movement of the reticle across the target, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no shit, dude. Like I, I can get that stuff off the internet. Tell me what is happening with the optic. Tell me what is going on inside the optic and why parallax is actually a thing. Because that's what people are going to click with. That's what people are going to go, oh, no shit. Okay, now then tell me why it's going to hurt my ability to be precise. So, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. It really is. And it's something that, that everybody's got to be aware of in this space because there is just so many people out there, you know, doing what we do. We talked about it on this podcast, Kaelin, is natural point of aim, right? Mm, yeah. uh, and how, uh, I mean, the, the simple concept of natural point of aim and, and uh, when people talk about it, you know, when you ask someone what a natural point of aim is, what, what they tell you is they tell you how to check for it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Not really what it is. Um, or how yeah. to achieve it. Yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Rudy. Go ahead. No, no, I just, it totally, I mean, it ties right back into like that whole concept of kind of knowing your audience, right? Like putting as an instructor, your job is to also help put things into context for whoever you're teaching mm -hmm. and going back to like those learning foundations, right? As you know, even as adults, like we're still learning stuff, you know, you should never, should never walk away from any sort of like course and be like, I don't learn anything because probably you just weren't trying hard enough. If that's the case. Um, or, but like when it comes to, Oh, you weren't, or you just weren't in the right headspace to receive like that too. It you know, it can be, it can be hard sometimes to, you know, going back to, you know, what I mentioned earlier, I come to your course initially, you know, seven years ago. Um, like there would have been a chance if I had let my ego kind of get in the way of like who I was, I might've completely missed out on that opportunity to, you know, learn what I learned about tripods. Um, and as an instructor, you know, how to break that down, you know, cause some people are going to get it. Like you might be able to explain something verbally. Um, you know, you could explain parallax verbally and some, some people would get it, you know, somebody who comes from a background, you know, as a photographer or something like that. And they're like, yeah, I got parallax. I know what that is. Somebody else, you know, you might actually have to get them down behind the rifle and deuce parallax. And then, you know, then they're like, oh, then the light bulb comes on. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's this whole thing of like, okay, now how does parallax you know, functionally affect the context of, you know, the discipline that you're in, you know, as, you know, a sniper, you know, sometimes I'm adjusting my parallax for a general distance. You know, I might have set for 400, I work 200 to, you know, 800 yards. Mm -hmm. And because I know like the threshold of my target size and I know the general wobble room of that parallax is not really going to have a detriment to my shot. So now I understand this foundational concept of it, but now when I put it into context, that's where I actually start to pick up, you know, this efficiency of flow of process, right? Because mm -hmm. I kind of got the same, if you ever come to my courses, you'll hear me say, you know, 
everybody wants to like, you know, go fast, right? Everybody wants to, you know, break the rules or break the speed limit. But in order to like really go around breaking rules, if you're going to do it properly, the first thing you got to do is actually read the rule book, kind of understand why these rules are in place, what these rules are about. Once you understand that, then you can kind of start seeing where you want to fudge around something off. So yeah, parallax, it's fundamental for that very reason of, you know, not having a shift in, you know, your point of impact. But, you know, in context of certain disciplines or applications, like, you know, parallax may not be the most significant factor that's going to be calculated into your hit probabilities. Mm -hmm. uh, my question to you guys is, um, you know, what, what are some common uh, misconceptions when you guys get students in your, your training classes and so, especially your long range training classes uh, in regards to um, long range shooting, you know, uh, stuff that you, you know, when you kind of give your, cause I, I just saw your guys' um, article on uh, the cold board theory, right? Oh, yeah. um, great, great article uh, that you guys had written out. Um, but yeah, so, you know, talk us through some of the things that you guys hear, like when you tell them, they're like kind of taken back by it. Like, that's not what I was taught or what I read or whatever. So the very first Alex, thing what do you is establishing that long range is not necessarily what they're there to train for or like their goal. Like typically, like, what are your goals of class? I want to shoot a thousand yards. Okay, great why like what for like why is there a line in the sand and like the biggest misconception about long-range shooting or precision rifle training is that you have to shoot long range to get really good at it um i can take a dude on a hundred yard square bay and i can wear him out for five days like we could spend weeks at a hundred yards and then all i need to do is add elevation and teach him wind but as a shooter, as a fundamentally sound rifle shooter and all the variables that come into play from the various shooting positions and the shot process and his ability to manipulate the rifle um, are now off the table. And now the only thing he has to worry about is elevation, which at this point is, is fairly scientific. I mean, that's almost a gimme inside of a thousand yards and then wind and wind is one of those things that, you know, you can, once you learn the, uh, you know, the process of, of sort of how to, to, you know, identify it, spot the trends, see the effects of terrain, understand speeds, and then developing your process and how to, how to apply a wind call uh, or a wind correction to your firing solution, um, you know, you're good. And so, you know, a lot of people think like I have to go long just to say that I did it. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I don't understand dudes that want to go out and shoot a thousand yards and have like a 10% hit percentage just to say they did it. Uh, I'm, I'm more interested in the dudes that are like, I want to hold a certain, you know, size at, at that distance, or I want to have a, a certain hit percentage to that distance, because that shows to me, you know, true capability. Um, so that would be the number one thing that, that, you know, I would say is, is first wipe all preconceived notions of not just what your goals are, but your training roadmap on how to get there. You know, people that think you're just going to drop down, start shooting KD off the bat. Uh, you know, you're asking for a lot of problems. You're asking for a lot of, you know, wasted money uh, as you're just sending rounds downrange into oblivion. Um, so I would kind of like start there, like go to an instructor that has a process built, you know, that's going to take you from where you are to where you want to go. And like if his course or her course doesn't outline specifically what sort of the, the learning objectives are to me, that would be like red flag. Number one, going back to, you know, the context of how to pick an instructor. Um, 
you know, my, I think back to like the first course that I like, see so all you guys had an instructor background coming out of the military. So like you guys had taught people, you had been taught to teach, you had developed it. Like I did not, I dodged every instructor bullet that they, they threw at me. Um, I wanted like nothing to do with a schoolhouse at all. Uh, in retrospect now, I, you know, I regret that decision, but at the time it's, it seemed, you know, deployments were much more alluring. Um, so like, you know, I think back to my very first course and I like shuddered because I was like, all I needed had to do was try to condense what I had gone through in 13, 12 or 13 weeks, however long my basic course was into five days. And then I was like, you know, some daunting realizations came like, oh, these guys have never been taught basic rifle marksmanship because they weren't expert riflemen, first class PFT years with a 110 GT score minimum. They were, you know, any dude that had, you know, stuck his hand up saying you want to be a sniper for a SWAT team. Um, so like the refinement of that has gone through. Uh, big other, um, I don't want to call fallacies, but big sort of trends that we see in, in people having bad ideas. Um, not knowing or buying equipment before they know the difference is one thing that I always kind of harp on. I'm like, dude, go to an instructor that, that can give you loaner equipment so you can get through the, the class if possible so that you can, before you, you know, jump in both feet and two credit cards later, um, you know, you can, you can figure out what you need, what you don't need and you know, what you don't want. And then, you know, invest wisely from there. And from that point, a lot of it is, is sort of, you know, I hear it from you guys. I hear it from Frank. I hear it from anybody who is worth their salt, uh, gun setup, body positioning, uh, you know, just is, you know, guys see certain things and they try to mimic it without understanding the why behind it. Uh, and that goes back to even training, you know, there's so many, I mean, we were talking about the other day, uh, you know, you'll see a picture and you'll be like, man, that guy missed it by that much. Like he saw, he was like, I am doing what I'm supposed, you know, what I was told, but just didn't quite grab the, uh, the concept behind it. So, um, a lot of guys just get spun up on a gear race. And the reality is, you know, in your first few classes, you know, I, I still believe that like, I still think the 308 is a really good starting cartridge. I know it doesn't perform well, and that's kind of the point. Like, if you can if you can call win to get hits with a 308 versus a high performance caliber, and you've got a barrel life that's going to go three to four times the length of one of these higher performing calibers, you know, you've got a, a gun that you can kind of stay with for a while until you kind of learned all the topics and learned everything and. and instead of just trying to play an equipment game. Um, so those are sort of the few things that I see with a lot of the new shooters that come out. Yeah, to, to follow that, like, so those basic fundamental tasks, uh, for a long time I kind of took those as for granted, right? Like, so coming from a Marine Corps background where everybody is, you know, a doctrinally trained rifleman uh, at a basic level, uh, a lot of times what I see is you know people show up and they're missing a key component of the fundamentals and that's like what's been holding them back they, they think that they're like all right yeah i'm ready to go deep and it's kind of like oh let's back this up let's talk about you know the body position proper body position look at all these things that you're missing out because you don't have you know good alignment of your skeletal structure like you've gained your stability which is you know it's no brainer well, then, you know, you start to take account into, you know, the durability of position or the sustainability. And it's like, oh, light bulb moment. Um, and then the gun setup, as I, I cannot say this enough, <laughs> like people, uh, 
but things that are not set up appropriately for them, like rifle systems that are not set up for you as an individual, is just really holding people back a lot. And also like this has this weird seeming stubbornness to resist changing anything on the rifle. And I'll be honest, I was one of those dudes. Like when I went through my first sniper course, I rode a M24 that was not really like ideally set up for me for about two weeks. And it was painful. And once I finally was just like, all right, I'm going to like loosen uh, the crossbolts. I'm going to slide the scope back. So I have proper eye relief. Like all of a sudden, like the strain in my neck, like went away. My body position was now proper again. Like, and I was like, oh man, it's so much easier to shoot because I'm not fighting against myself. Um, and from there, you know, again, like people, people will see like a YouTube, like, you know, review of something. They're like, oh yeah, this is badass. And I'm like, yeah, it might be badass for maybe something that you might do down the road, but if, you know, you're not doing that or if it's not, you know, appropriate for what you're trying to do, it's not really going to help you. Or, you know, somebody famous is like, ah, oh, look, look at this sweet piece of kid. Like, it's great. That's nice. But, uh, that's not where you're at right now. Mm. Um, the other big takeaways uh, that I kind of see as, you know, guys kind of struggling when they come in uh, is, you know, that arms race kind of mentality. So obviously the PRS and NRL kind of those series are kind of at the forefront of most precision rifle training. And it's, uh, it's kind of a little bit of an arms race and it's really easy to get caught up in thinking you need this or you need that um, before you even, you know, touch foot on the 100 yard line and especially with caliber selection um like i have some kind of strong opinions about it like honestly if anybody's listening to this and you're thinking about like dipping your toes into you know long range precision rifle because you know you've seen the prs and it looks badass um you know it's wicked fun and stuff but like if your first long range precision rifle is like a custom six millimeter like stop it like you're fucking wrong. <laughs> like it, it's this whole concept of like, I want to be uh, competitive, which there's nothing wrong with wanting to be competitive. And so to be competitive, you know, you have to have multiple things. One of them is the equipment side of things. Like if you really want to be competitive uh, within, you know, um, as a modern rifleman in competition, like you're probably going to be better off served by six millimeter, six, five, your choice, whatever. However, like just because you have set equipment of the pros, so to speak, that does not mean that you are truly at a state to be competitive. Um, you need to kind of slow things down a little bit. Uh, one big thing I always like to try to get us to do is like, hey, you need to get to know your rifle. Like, and if you're changing barrels every 12 to 1800 rounds, you're not going to get to know that rifle well. You're not going to understand application of the fundamentals behind you know that particular stock or chassis or that optic and it's that's like a huge piece of a lot of what we do is you know we have through our process they have this building of the mechanics so that's kind of like the first phase when we have students come through you know what essentially what we're teaching is this phase of mechanics like you need to understand what right looks like so then you can go out and execute it and from there, you're kind of working through like a maintenance of these mechanics. So you're, you're sustaining them and you're putting in reps. Keyword here is good reps. So once you put in the good reps, that's what kind of builds your efficiency, you know, of 
you know, motion, economy of motion, like through applying fundamentals, regardless of what discipline that you're going to be, you know, competing in, like you need to have that in order to achieve mastery. Like, and that's the only way to achieve it. Now, how you get those reps in, that's, you know, kind of a little bit up for debate, but like, again, if you're changing out barrels, you know, 1500 rounds, you're going to have a hard time being consistent reps, like on that platform. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you bring that up because we were just wrapping up um, our <clears throat> first installment of uh, our, our upcoming online training and it's circle of components. And that's exactly what we do in that whole curriculum is we talk about everything that goes into making your rifle what it is. And then we talk about the scope, we talk about the ammunition, and then we talk about the shooter because what we're trying to do is just identify and grab a hold of all of the variables that are going to install, instill doubt or question as to whether or not you are, meaning you as the shooter, are the true low, low common denominator like in terms of what is going wrong. So like you said, man, if you're, if you jump into that immediately into that six millimeter world and, and you're new to this game and you haven't worn a 308 barrel out yet, dude, like you don't know what you're looking for. You don't know yet. Like, Hey, what does a barrel look like when it starts to get shot out? What happens? Like when it, what are those indicators that it's time to swap a barrel? Is it you as the shooter or is it truly the rifle? You know, like there's some, some six millimeter barrels will shit themselves at a thousand yards, a thousand rounds. And you might think that it's you when in reality it's not. Um, there's so many different aspects of knowledge that like you're talking about that need to be elevated to a, a point of understanding and comprehension that that's when you can take that next step right? We have to understand the system first. And like you said, you got to understand the, the mechanics of it first. And like, we, we get it, we get it a lot, man. People ask us questions all the time. Like, what should we buy? What should I get? I want to get into this game. And you know, you got one camp over here. That's just like, nah, go straight to the six millimeter and blah, blah, blah. And then there's the other camp where it's like, nah, man, you don't want to do that because if you jump right into that realm of shooting a specific rifle specifically set up for competition, you're bypassing so many other skills that need to go into building you as a shooter first. So that way you can truly extract all of the potential from that very, very specific purpose built system. And, you know, some people disagree with that. Go ahead, Alex. Go ahead. Uh, Yes. I was like, you just talked on something. It's like, you know, we look at it, you know, like again, the guys across the street running in the cars, you know, when you jump into their program and their curriculum, you know, the first thing you're doing, the first car you're driving is like a 90 horsepower front wheel drive Ford Fiesta. Like it is awesome. the least sexy vehicle. Like it's of actually all time. one of my favorite cars to drive. <laughs> <Rest> that thing. <laughs> just driving uh, right out of it. Yeah. So it, it is like, you know, you're like, man, what am I really like, how am I supposed to learn how to like go fast in this? And the, right. and the truth is it's, it's enough to get the points across, but it, it's very forgiving when you're learning. Right. So like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was having a conversation with some engineers from one of the gun companies up here that were, that had come through our facility, uh, you know, not too long ago. And I said, you know, one of the reasons that they were looking at trying to build a lighter and lighter and lighter, um, 
think like 300 Norma. And I'm like, guys, you know, think of who your end user is. And they were trying to pitch it to, to, you know, a certain group of guys. I'm like, those dudes aren't going to know how to drive a really light, really high recoiling rifle because they're used to shooting a 20 pound 308. Like, you know, they get away with a lot and that same thing. And like, you know, by the end of the fifth day in the, the rally school, you know, you're, you're driving around in, you know, prepped BMWs or like turboed uh, WRXs that sound like just war at that wide open throttle and you are cranking. You can't believe the speed you're going, but it's because you learned all of the little things along the way. You learned weight transfer. You learned to break, how to brake, when to brake, how to pitch the car, how to feel it. And like you said, you learn all that stuff just by doing. And I want to take kind of like a, a slight kind of tangent if you guys will allow me, but like, you know, you guys and we, and pretty much anyone who's who's in this talks all the time about getting out and competing especially to our younger like junior snipers guys that have just kind of been on the gun for a bit and you know like Rudy said like you know you're talking about a bunch of alpha males like going to compete and like where their job is to do this and so they're gonna feel like oh man like I don't want to get my ass kicked I want to be competitive Mm -hmm. but if they're really going at it you know when you get to a certain point as a shooter like you want 100 like be competitive and that's what you want to do is your sport and your hobby like in your off time, that's fine. Go, go and, and chase that gear race and, and everything else. But when I talk to like junior snipers or younger snipers, you know, maybe one or two years on the gun, I'm like, dude, forget trying to chase, you know, open class, like build a gun that replicates what you're carrying to work every day, like similar barrel length, run a similar weight bullet, you know, a similar cartridge, you know, the same reticle, if you can get it, or at least, you know, the same, um, or the same optics, same reticle, if you can get it, if not like, you know, budget permits, whatever, find something close. And then if you're working in that similar ballistic coefficient, muzzle velocity, as your work gun using the same reticle, what you're working is that processing time and speed. You're going to be better at your job because you're, you're, you're running that, those drop charts from your, from, you know, memory, you're developing that process of determining and applying a wind correction in your firing solution at speed. Um, you know, with a similar rifle, if not like an identical copy. And if like you want to get really good at your job, like you're going to shoot competitions or do this to, bolster your training for your job don't go out and just shoot a radically different gun until you get to that point when you're like once you get to a certain point you know i I honestly don't care what you do you can go and chase whatever you want because you you know like you've reached that level but when you're like you know a junior sniper one to two years on the gun like don't don't do that pick the thing that's going to be most similar to work and get really good at what you're going to need because when you go down range it's not going to be a 26 pound six millimeter it's going to be your rifle and you're going to need to shoot moving targets at speed with a limited exposure time. Get really good at that. Mm-hmm. Yep. I could not agree. I could not agree more with that. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we can, that we can, you know, relate this to for, for the listeners out there. Like all of you guys that are listening are probably like, depending on what you do as a profession, you're probably really good at something. And that's, you you'll know that okay I'm really good at this this is my profession um, and I've, I've done a lot of things in my life that require um, extreme concentration extreme focus and uh, and making sure that you can stay in that moment so um, you know being a pilot because you know you learn like I like the, my transition from single engine airplane to multi engine airplane 
just that transition from one engine to two, now I have that much more to manage in the same amount of time. And, and being able to stay ahead of the airplane and what I meant, what I like my instructors would always say, you got to stay ahead of the airplane. And it took me a while to figure out what that was. And what that basically means is like, you have to streamline your process of, of all of these checklists and all of these system checks and making sure that like, I'm not, not only am I not forgetting anything, but I'm not missing, I'm not missing a part of the checklist and then having to go back. Because if I have to go back, time is continuing to truck, to truck on dude. Like I'm still, I'm still going to land this airplane right here, no matter what. So it's happening. You have to be ahead of it. You have to be expecting it. And, and Rudy, you can probably relate to this too from, from skydiving. Like, yeah, actually I was just about to, to interrupt you there. Cause like that's, that triggers a lot for me right there. Um, that's why we hit so much on the process as, mm-hmm. you know, gunfighters, you know, because that time does not stop. The clock doesn't stop. There may be another stage, then maybe the only stage of your day. Um, and when things, you know, start to come apart or, you know, all of a sudden there's a differential created in your reality, um, you need to continue to follow and execute the process. Um, I remember one of my first uh, cutaways uh, doing free fall. Um, basically, I came out of the aircraft about 6'5", I pulled, and I had a bag lock. This was like my 13th, like super fresh. And next thing I knew, my reserve was open. And what had happened was as soon as I recognized that I had a bag lock, I immediately went into my emergency procedures, executed the emergency procedures, cut away, and pulled uh, the reserve. And like it happened so fast, I didn't even have to think about it. Yeah. Why? Because there's a process. There's a process that's already been mapped into my brain from having done countless, countless emergency procedure exercises, right? Because of reps, which goes mm-hmm. back to what I was talking about before. That's why we hit so hard on developing a process and then putting reps in. So that way, when all of a sudden, you know, things are happening under stress your mind already has a map of what it needs to do physiologically. Um, and it's funny cause like we see it when we're teaching, um, most of our courses kind of end with some sort of stress shoot or something. And they'll be, dudes will get like on a barricade or a tripod or something. And you know, they're just gassed up and going and immediately they revert back to whatever fucked up body position that they showed yeah. up with. I'm like, I'm like, stop. I'm like, look at your feet right now or look at your hips. And they're like, ah, oh, God damn it. And they fix themselves, right? And it's just because they don't have enough reps like on the new way to do it. That's why it's important to do reps because our mind, you know, when we're processing things in our day-to-day lives, you can average anywhere from maybe four to eight tasks cognitively. The other stuff that you do kind of gets pushed back into your subcognitive. When things start happening under stress, that field narrows down anywhere from like one to three different like functions that you're cognitively managing or you're bouncing back and forth between, which means a lot of other stuff is being pushed to your subcognitive things that like your body position or your trigger control, all that stuff gets pushed back into your subcognitive. And so your brain's like, all right, time to apply body position. What program are we going to run? It's going to run whatever program is most dominant, whatever program you spent the most time developing. So that's why it's, we're so, we hit so much hard on this 
idea of building a process and executing it with lots and lots of reps. So eventually it, it becomes instant. Like when I get down now, like it's kind of funny, like Alex and I kind of, he'll, he'll say the same thing. Like when we get down and we try to do sometimes like you might do a demo of like an incorrect body position. Like it's so hard to like make your body and, move away that it knows it's not supposed to. And you're like, all right, and it so feels really screwed up and you're it just like, so weird. Damn, this is fucked up. Yeah. I, I was just trying to do a do and do not video and I could not do a do not. Um, <laughs> like, uh, like running the bolt. Like I was like, I, I had to force myself on, uh, you know, trying to run the bolt incorrectly would take my face off the gun and lifting my elbow and stuff like that. Stuff you see with guys overworking the bolt. And I just couldn't, like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't execute it. Like I had to actually slow it down to uh, think about doing it incorrectly mm-hmm. uh, before actually getting it, you know, um, getting it right. It's, uh, it, it's important. Yeah, like with I did, I did literally the same thing the other day with pistol. I was trying to do a demo. I'm like, all right, guys, so what I'm going to do here is everything wrong. And pow, ding. I'm like, all right, uh, I'm going to try that again. I'm gonna do this. <laughs> it was really, really wrong this time. Like, I'll just use my left hand or something. Like, it was, it, but yeah, it's, yeah. You know, the alarm bell, we call it the dash lights, right? Or like, ter- warning, terrain, warning, terrain. Like, when something sure. seems so far off, it's like, you know, that's the point we try to, or we want guys to get to is like, when something feels off, you're like, wait a minute, it's like, you should feel it. And then you should like rapidly check that, that process. And, you know, it's so funny. Like I find that a lot of the guys that, you know, we'll talk to like you guys, like listening to your podcast uh, about your, your, your shooters checklist. You know, we have literally this, it's funny, like dudes that are switched on and kind of doing the same thing, almost all have the same stuff just slightly worded different or slightly codified differently like we have ours we call it like the pre-fight checklist and it's literally like the exact same thing so when you guys are saying that i'm like yes they get it right like and when you do it and you're you've all of a sudden you're like man something feels off and it's like you rapidly run through that checklist in your head and it's like okay what's off like okay non-firing hand is good firing hand is good you know where are my hips all right my my hips are off like something's there like you know i'm, I'm not uh, I'm not locking up to this, you know, the position, right. Whether it's like a supported position or, or whatever. And it's like, then you can fix that real quick and then get back to where you, you know, you need to pick up that, you know? And, yeah. and the, the, the best part about that, Alex, is that you have that committed to memory, right? It's like, if, if um, unless you have that committed to memory, you, you don't know what to look for in, in a, in your body position or whatever. And I think there's where a lot of people get caught up is like, it's like, oh man, these are so many things to worry about, especially when they, uh, when you first probably teach your class of int- uh, fundamentals and stuff like that. I mean, we're going over uh, body positioning, we're going over breathing, we're going over uh, side alignment, side picture, and it's probably, you know, every four, all four of us here can probably teach that class in in a span of four days, but we have freaking three hours to do it because we want to hit the range, right? And um, you know, th- they just get overwhelmed and they're like, thinking like well, how the fuck am I supposed to think about all that shit, you know, on top of all the other shooting tasks, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why it's so important that, like, they leave the class with that list and that process because, like, we've got a guy that works for us. He's, you know, a kid at Second Force, and, and, uh, you know, he kind of joked a couple years ago, and it stuck with us. He's like, man, you can't be anything worth being in five days, right? And, you know, it it was like – I was like – that's the smartest thing you've ever said. You know? <laughs> like, like, I'm like, God damn, where did that come from? Like Oracle, you know? 
And, uh, and it was so true. And I'm like, dude, like, that's the thing. Like if you go to a good course and you've got a good instructor and the instructor has taken the time to sort of like Rudy said, process map out and give you this list. If you don't remember anything else from that course, like all the nuances of stuff, but like you're, you're new to it. And like, you can just pick up the steps to that process and then go home. And that's where practice comes in. So training or learning happens at the class where you get good is when you go back and you put in those reps and you work it over and over and over again until it becomes natural until you've without even like thinking about it, you, you know what you need to do when, and it's like, you know, there is going to be a phase of learning. Like, you know, you ever seen a kid learn to walk, like they get up, they, they learn how to take the first step and they fall down again. Like it's going to happen. That's okay. Like this is a lifelong endeavor. Like in my, you know, opinion, which is, you know, obviously somewhere between whale shit and the ocean floor. Like the reason that precision rifle has gotten so popular after sort of that like huge rush on pistol and carbine in the mid two thousands and early teens was because so many dudes went to that. They saw like all these, you know, seven yard hero courses they do it and they're like, all right, I'm going to get faster. 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 And then they're kind of like, well, now what? Whereas precision rifle is this never ending journey of no matter if you like, you fire one shot, you run your bolt, you go to take the next shot. The environmentals have changed where it is a totally new shot at that point. Right now you could either have like learned what happened from your last shot. Or if you, you know, you weren't paying attention, you weren't good enough to track it. Then you, you know, it really is a whole new shot again. But <laughs> the point being is, is there is no, perfect you're mm -hmm. always in the hunt to try to get it and you know trying to you know put the cart before the horse or you know like you know Caitlin I talked to you a couple a couple months ago about that quote that, that you said that I really liked which was you know people are trying to learn the tricks of the trade before they master the trade itself and it's like it's okay to take time to learn because the dude that does and puts in that time at the beginning is going to get a much like more hockey stick learning curve than he is if he's trying to chase every little sort of like trick or nuance or anything like that. Cause there's, there's no base to fall back on, you know? So I think that's super important to, to switch on to. Yeah. It's going to be super rough for uh, like my biggest thing is like for guys who are kind of getting into this, um, just be gentle with yourselves, man. Like, like you're saying that like, when you talk about like being a kid, right? Like when you learn to walk, it took you probably the better part of a year to really kind of figure it out before you're up and up and really moving about. And like people come and, you know, whether it's, a, you know, a five day like LE course or even a two week like advanced mill sniper course, like, bro, like it's just two weeks, man. Like that's not a lot of time to like really hone and learn a complete new skill. Like be, be gentle with yourself. <laughs> like, Put your ego in check a little bit yeah. for your own sake. Rudy, uh, uh, while we're still on this topic, I want to go back to your article that you post about Cobalt 30. Your second paragraph is talks about, um, you know, the reality of what uh, subject matter experts are and, and the misconception that uh, a lot of these subject matter experts, you know, have X amount of years of experience when really they only have, yeah, maybe they have years of experience, but they maybe only have, X amount of hours of actually applying that experience uh, during work. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. And it kind of ties in well, I think, with, you know, instructors and it kind of ties back to uh, what Kalen hit on uh, a little bit earlier about like 
you know, looking at an instructor from a standpoint solely based on their pedigree, which is important, right? So like if you are going to learn, for example, like if you're gonna to learn to be a competitive shooter in the PRS, you probably want to learn from an instructor who's actually had success in that field, right? So if you're gonna be a sniper, you probably want to be learning from somebody who's been successful as a sniper. However, you know, just having a certain pedigree or having a certain amount of years behind that gun doesn't make you an expert necessarily. You can, for example, and this is a good one, I owe this one to Alex, right? Like everybody talks about like, you know, how awesome they are because oh, I've been shooting, you know, I've been a federal law enforcement agent for 35 years or whatever. I mean, I've been running for 35 years. You don't see me at the Olympics. Like, <laughs> I would get my ass fucking handed to me if I fucking, you know, went out next year for, uh, you know, marathon or something. Like, it would be a little bit of a rough go for me. And so, just because X number of years, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Like, and the same thing with a pedigree. Like, we all know, like, lots of good dudes and pipe hitting motherfuckers, you know, a lot of time actually doing work. But they can't really necessarily always pull together as instructor or you know, vice versa. You have guys who are, you know, maybe you might be a little bit junior on the other side of things. Maybe they're not like a, you know, CAG operator or whatever, but, you know, they spent, you know, four, six years, you know, doing things, doing that vocation. And they also have a real passion for it and they've learned things, you know, how to teach. Like, that's like, to me, like, that's kind of what makes a subject matter expert. Like, when you're, have this combination of different things. One, you have the skill to execute it. Two, you have a passion, you know, to share it and teach it with other people. And three, like the actual experience, like within the field. And I think uh, doubling back onto like that article, uh, like that's something we kind of see a lot, which is why I mentioned it in that article, right? Like everybody kind of wants to be a subject matter expert in something and it's okay to not be, right? Like, it's it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. Like we we're talking about cars, and uh, I mentioned Ford Fiesta, right? So we t we took a course, a driving course, uh, this last fall, and it was fucking hard, man. Like I'm so used to like being really good at doing lots of different things, like, and the first time I really got in a rally car and started like trying to learn how to apply these fundamentals of driving. I fucking sucked, dude. And like, I scared the shit out of my instructors. And they're like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on. And, uh, but it's, that, that's okay, right? Like, I don't have to be an expert in everything. Exactly. If I want to, I can devote time and passion to it and it will turn out well. But yeah, it's, that's, it's a balance when you're looking for people like that. That's one the of other the part. Go ahead, Ken. That's one, that's one of the things that, that I found like outside of the, the world of shooting is like, I wanted to try to, I wanted to try to expand my knowledge base. Right. I wanted to try to expand like, okay, what do I have the capacity to learn? <clears throat> and what do I have the, the, the capacity to be able to apply my skills with? And, you know, um, outside of shooting, like first becoming a pilot, that was, that was incredibly difficult. Like you said, like learning how to drive a rally car, like this is completely foreign to me. Like I have to learn, I have to literally learn how to fly this airplane, right? Like I, not only do I have to learn the principles of flight and the dynamics of flight from aerodynamic standpoint, but now I have to learn how to manage all of these systems that actually keep the fucking thing in the air. And so like you, you, 
you kind of have to reprogram your brain and how to think. And the same thing with, with skydiving, like it did not come easy. It was hard. It was not easy to do. You're just like, dude, this sucks. Like, like, what do you mean? I just can't fall right out of the sky and like, just lay there, <laughs> you know, like this is bullshit. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's hard. You actually have to apply skills and you have to learn you're, you're, you're teaching your body to do something that is number one, completely foreign. I just hurled myself out of a fucking airplane, man. Like that's not normal. And then you have to learn how to feel what your body is doing in the air and and be able to be relaxed and okay with it. And that's like a learning, it's just all a learning curve and it's different. It's a different way of getting your brain to engage in, in that whole process. And I think part of it, go ahead. So I think part of it too, when it comes to like being a subject matter expert, you know, yeah, it's time, both, you know, getting that experience in that certain field, then it's the time in refining, you know, how you teach it to people. But then it's also, I think, remaining open and humble to other uh, people and their ideas and their experiences because they may differ from, they may, they may backstop you or they may open you to a new, uh, a new way of looking at things or even just the way of how they delivered it. I mean, I still take a lot of courses. I go to a lot of courses a year. I try to take as many as I can. Um, you know, it's, it's getting harder and harder just with our schedule, but you know, and there's, there's certain things, you know, when I was younger and I was a Lance Corporal and I would go to like, you know, those pistol carving courses on leave, it was all about like, I was looking for these dudes to give me like the game genie cheat code to, you know, how was I going to be like, in my mind, this like, you know, tactical God, you know, for CQC shooting. And then now what I look at more and more is the structure of a course. Like what did I like or not like in terms of the efficiency of information transfer, uh, and then things that I also look at when it comes to who is an SME is who's open to testing or validating or putting their own thoughts up on the chopping block and seeing if they, they stand up. You know, we use a lot of words in this community. Uh, you know, how many courses are, are titled something, something theory or concepts or whatever. And those, those, you know, one of the things I got from the scout sniper team leader course, because I got murdered there was words have meaning. And, you know, if you, when you say the word theory, you know, there is an actual meaning to that word in the scientific community. And so you better be able to, you know, put up your hypothesis and then find things to test against it until you figure out whether or not that theory holds water at all. There's a quote and I'm going to read it so I don't screw it up. I have a friend, Bruce, who is a small business owner and very passionate shooter. And he shared this quote with me or he sent me a picture because he has it taped above his desk. And the quote is such, the professional kiss of, kiss of death for an expert is to act like one. Once you believe in your own expertness, you close your mind to possibilities. You stop acting on curiosity. You may begin to resist change in your field for fear of losing authority on a subject you've spent so long mastering. Your own judgment and views, instead of supporting you, can imprison you. And unfortunately, I don't have, you know, it's kind of an anonymous quote, but I literally read it once a day. Um, because I think That's it is dope. super yeah. important to, to maintain that, that openness and be humble. And, you know, don't, if you know something to be absolutely true, I'm not saying that, you know, you can't stand up for what you you've experienced and what you've seen, but you should always maintain that hunger because if not your, the, the kill clock or the countdown on what you have being relevant starts immediately. Mm -hmm. That's so 
something that I've been taking a deep dive into, um, and you know, Rudy and I have had these conversations too offline is, is ego and, and, and where are you at with your own acknowledgement of ego? And, you know, we hear that constantly in our world, in the, you know, in the military community, you know, check your ego at the door, right? We've all heard that. How many times has somebody actually looked at you and said, I'm going to tell you what that means to check your ego at the door. I'm going to talk to you about like what actually ego truly is. And most people have zero concept other than what the word is, right? So like the famous, you know, you know, your, your ego is writing checks that your body can't cash, right? From, from Top Gun in the eighties. Well, that's that there that is a truth, but there is a lot of, there's like an infinite amount of layers to that because your ego is really, truly your personality. It is who you are as a person. And so you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to shut off being my, being, being Kalen today. That doesn't work that way. What, what there's, there's good parts of an ego and then there's bad parts of an ego. And the, like you're talking about Alex with that quote, shutting yourself off to understanding that there are far, far greater and bigger things than you. That is, that's now you're starting to live in that negative aspect of ego. And there's other things like there too with intentions. Like what are your intentions? Why are you teaching? What are you, what are you doing? Are you doing this because you want a bunch of Instagram followers and you want to, to, you know, put yourself out in front of everybody and say, look at me, look at me. Or are you doing this because you view what you're teaching, your passions are injected into what you teach as a teacher. And so like, it's not just shooting. It's not just the tactical cool guy stuff. There need, there's another message in there. There's another message that you're trying to communicate. And that's a lot of it. Like with, with Phil and I, we talked about, you know, the whole, the, 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 the tagline mindfulness behind the rifle. And really that is a very, that's a broad overreaching statement, right? Because, and, and people started to hear that they didn't understand what it meant. They're like, Whoa, what, what is this? What are you talking about? What is this mindfulness behind the rifle stuff? And that is part of it, right? It's, it's learning yourself. It's learning who you are and what your intentions are behind what it is that you're doing, because those intentions are going to drive how you learn and how you put and how you present yourself to the world because we have this thing inside we have we have an outer status and that outer status is is how we is how we see ourselves in front of the world right that's that's like how we see ourselves or how other people see us right and then we have that yeah, yeah. We'll go ahead Alex. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say that whole idea of why was something that hit me like a ton of bricks like a couple months ago because I had never really stopped to think of why like why we did what we, why we're doing what we do, why I do what I do why why I care and it was like you know I didn't grow up shooting I didn't grow up hunting you know it was definitely like a suburban city kid right and then the second that Marines put an M sixteen A two in my hand it was like this is what I'm here for and then it was all from that point on was about getting to a sniper platoon. And then when I got there and I remember checking into scout sniper basic course and like everyone is, you know, 
you know how everybody plays up courses before you go. It's like, oh, it's going to be the hardest thing in the world. You're going to die, blah, you know? And I remember just getting there day one and being like, I cannot get enough of this. This is like the greatest thing. Like I am home, you know what I mean? And as, you know, my career progressed and everything and, and then got it, getting into like, you know, getting out and, you know, working in this sort of like contract space, you know, again, it was kind of like, you know, I never stopped to think of why. It was just like, well, this is what I do. This is this, this is what I'm passionate. I, I get up every day. Rudy and I talk in the morning and our like morning work calls turn into like two hour, you know, idea sessions of like, oh, you know, it'd be a great idea. Like, we'll do this and we'll do that. Cause it's just like, there's, there's this passion there. And it, I never really stopped to think about or like codify it. And then, you know, honestly, I was talking to another one of our friends, Matt, and it was like, it just kind of hit me. And I'm like, dude, not being on the far side of an operational career and not being able to go downrange anymore and, and put foot to ass and actually stack the bodies of the enemies of this country. It was like now, like, but I've accumulated all this knowledge. I still have this passion to like, you know, serve and to like, to like make a difference. And it was like that, that really like all that's like, it like totally recentered me and like what I want to do, you know, as in this, in this job and, and with our company. And it was like, I want to take all the experience that I can gather from the experience that I've had, the other instructors that had people know, you know, and create it in a way or format it in a way that we can give it back to the dudes that are going out the door right now who are 15, 20 years younger than we are. You know what I mean? It's like, they're, they're at the very, they're where we were 20 years ago. And it's like, if I can give that to them now and the, shortcut their learning curve at all and make them more proficient, then they're going to do 10 times the work that we ever did, you know? And it's like that whole thing of why that you brought, it's like, yeah, man, that, that actually hit like near and dear to me. Like a few months ago, I was like, it like stopped me in my tracks. Literally. I'm pretty sure you guys are our East coast doppelgangers. Cause I mean, <laughs> fucking Kalen and I, and that's how podcast, our podcast started. I mean, we, we would, we would talk shop. And it would be like a two hour, like talk about just whatever, right. You know, uh, philosophies and, you know, our, our, uh, you know, our thoughts on things. And I was like, this is good shit. Like, we should, we should be hitting the record button. Um, and then that's how it essentially started. Um, and yeah, I mean, dude, I'm, I'm right there. Kaylin and I'm right, right there with you guys as far as our why, I mean, um, you know, understanding that, you know, even during the time that we were in is, uh, you know, I, I knew that I was living for a purpose bigger than myself, you know, and, and that's one thing that, uh, you know, got me through walking through the schoolhouse doors every morning was knowing that, you know, I know that I'm probably not going to be gunfighting anytime soon. I've just picked up, uh, I've picked up the fucking rocker, but I knew that, you know, whether it's my students that are going to combat or their, uh, you know, their future students, I wanted to make sure those guys were as, you know, you know, as well-trained as they could be, because you guys know how the cyber community is. It, a, lot, a lot of it is, is when those guys graduate from cyber school, they just end up becoming instructors, right? Of teaching the new generation and stuff like that. So not only are we teaching these guys how to be a snipers, but we're trying to mentor them and, and, and um, show them, hey, this is what it also takes to, you know, teach the next generation. So we're wearing both hats at the same time. So I dig it. Yeah, it's... The, the mindfulness behind the rifle and healthy management of the ego is uh, something that I'm finding like more and more critical. So 
like in the last year I've had some experiences that have really kind of opened my eyes to a lot of my general existence within the world, but also within the context of shooting. Um, like I start to look back and I realize now, like one of the, one of the great successes is I was kind of unintentionally finding ways to kind of manage ego. I think as an instructor, one of the most beneficial ways is surrounding yourself with other people that kind of drive and push you, um, that kind of challenge you, or if you need to go out and find things to challenge yourself, right? Like, you know, going out and doing a competition, like that can be one way to challenge a certain aspect, not only of uh, the mechanics of your training, but also like your mental aptitude. Um, and for me, like being around other people uh, has other professionals has always been something that's helped drive me. So when I was looking to get out, you know, initially back in 2015, um, you know, that's kind of what I started doing. I started looking around and I'm like, all right, who do I want to surround myself with within this community of, you know, instructors, you know, who do I want to kind of necessarily play off of, but who do I want to rub off on me? Um, and that's one of the things I literally did. I went around to different instructors and I'd sit down and kind of do like an informational interview. And I remember I sit down with Kalen, uh, sit down with Scott Satterley and other dudes and just being like, Hey man, like, tell me about what's, what, tell me about what's going on. You know, uh, I looked at people that kind of had a pretty good handle on not only who they were, but also, you know, where they were, what they were doing. Uh, there's, there's a lot of guys out there that are teaching. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, they're teaching because, you know, it's, and some sort of next logical step or something. Um, but it's really important to kind of look at why you're doing something, the intent and the mindfulness behind any action, you know, whether it's making a cup of coffee in the morning or, you know, teaching precision rifle to students. Like that's like, that's a very important thing that I think often gets overlooked because you just don't slow down and look at the, the kind of why behind it. And when you come to like one of our courses, like that's again, this benefit of management of the ego. Like we have, you know, up to I think 4% rifle instructors generally on tap. And it's not just me teaching, right? Like I'm not just like inventing stuff based off of my experience or my expectations. It's something that, you know, parts of it, you know, Alex is working on, other parts Dave works on. And we kind of come together and we're like, hey, you know, let's let's put the put the numbers on the board here. Like, let's actually go out and run it. Or sometimes it's coming back to a basic. Like, I was running a carving class uh, like a week or two ago. And I'm like, I'm going to hop in. I haven't been on the carving in a while. And, dude, I got my what was normally a basic uh, a basic task. So the MUSOC uh, rifle call. It's not a terribly difficult qualification course of fire. Uh, but it got me like I did not pass on my first go. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, like I've been letting my things slip here. And it kind of like checked that part of myself. I was always like, yeah, I'm good enough. I got this. I don't need to do this. And, you know, I took it back to the drawing board. I spent like two days, you know, working on these, coming back to getting the efficiency of my fundamentals up, you know, because I had somebody that was there to you know, put a check and the balance on you know, that part of myself. And as instructors, you know, that's huge. As, you know, a student, like, learning, like, that's also equally huge. Agreed. So something I want to just say real quick, and if we're talking about, like, you know, instructors and selections and, and that sort of stuff, like, how to pick it, like, you know, I see both sides of the coin for 
people out there now with all of the people that they could go train with. Right. So you know, you, you find an instructor and, and you know, things that I'm looking for, you know, and as the student I would want is somebody who has spent the time on the curriculum, right. Developing the process. So there it's the maximum efficiency of the course. They, you know, it's not their first time kind of wallowing through their curriculum, trying to find their way, and, you know, dealing with time management issues, dealing with range issues, like, you're like, hey, I'm looking for something. If I'm going to spend my money, I want to get the best, you know, 16 hours of training that I can get this weekend, right? But there's also a whole crop of, like, guys, like, you know, I know, I think back to, like, guys that gave me my first shot on my first course, and I'm like, I wouldn't have if, <laughs> if I was them, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you get your, you're, you're an unknown getting, you know, coming out of, let's say the military to go teach a course, right? You know, I'm sure Kaylin, when you first got out and you ran your first course compared to what you're teaching now, the level of, uh, knowledge or understanding prep, like I'm sure, well, I'm sure, you know, coming out of the Marine Corps, they, they do a pretty good job making sure that you do everything you're, you're uber prepared for it. Right. But you know, the way that you've probably shuffled the deck on how you teach things, the, the order in which you teach them and, and you know, how you maximize the, that the student's time there, it, it, you know, Phil, same thing, you know, it didn't happen overnight. Like the Marine Corps, you know, you do CCRB and you know, that, that whole curriculum is, is spelled out for you. And yeah, you want to put your own touch on it, but there's, you're not having to start from kind of scratch, right? There's something that you're there to make your own, but you're staying kind of on task, on target that whole the way through. When you start to do it yourself, there's like, there's definitely a learning curve there, but there might be a kid out there right now who's an unknown, right? To the general, the general population of, of precision rifle shooters, who's like just getting out and he's probably teaching a local precision rifle course for like 150 bucks for like the weekend or a day or something like that. And like, you know what, if he's local, go give him a shot. Like he might have something for you and he might be the next Kalen. He might be the next Phil. You know what I mean? It's like, go, go, you know, if you can let, you know, if you see the guy and he's passionate, he knows what he's talking about. He's obviously not a snake oil salesman and you haven't heard of him. It might not hurt to go give this dude a shot. You know? Agreed. Man, I could not agree with that anymore because, you know, we all started someplace. We, we all started someplace and we all had that, that catalyst somewhere along the line. Sometimes just it happens differently or it's on a different time scale in your, in your journey. But we were all that starting dude that was just like, yeah, man, I like, uh, I'm t- like when you actually volunteer to teach something, it's fucking terrifying. I mean, you're, I'm still, I've been doing this professionally for 20 years and I still, I still have my own personal doubts about what, what is this curriculum? Did I do a good job putting it together? Did I approach it with as much, um, unbiased thought process as I possibly could staying focused on the end goal, staying focused on the mission and then back planning from there to develop it. And like, are people going to have a good time? Are they going to learn? And, and like, I still get that way. And I'm still to a point where I'm like, yeah, man, I need to change some things or, you know, this worked a little bit better. And I, there's a different way of teaching this or communicating this and, and the curriculum develops and evolves. But if you see that, that young person that's out there, that's like showing a lot of passion, they're showing a lot of drive, they're showing a lot of desire. And 
the one thing that I can tell you guys is to like look for the people that are making things their own. Look for the people that are saying, you know what, this is this, okay, this is this, like we were talking about earlier, parallax. Well, parallax is this. Everybody knows that. But look for the people that are like putting their own spin on it and maintaining, obviously, the factual aspects of it because, you know, there's things that you just can't get away from. There's science. But look for the person that is truly embracing being a teacher and developing those skills. Like that's what you should be focused on. It's good to know that uh, I'm not the only one that still gets nervous <laughs> teaching oh, courses. Dude, I'm terrified. <laughs> shit. Uh, no, no, that's a, going back to, you know, that quote from Bruce, you know, that's, that's where you want to be. You know, like, if you ever feel, you ever feel like you have all the answers, that's the moment you're in the most peril, like as an instructor. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Um, so I, I think we should uh, definitely, this is probably not the only time we're going to podcast, but I think that this is going to be a good podcast in itself is, you know, um, educating, uh, like-minded brothers that are, you know, on their way to transition out, how to be an instructor, you know, and, and not to be uh, such a big fanboy here. Uh, but two or three years ago when I was uh, working on my exit strategy outside of the Marine Corps, Actually, it was it was your three faces that I well more, mostly Alex and Kalen's because uh, Rudy I didn't start seeing your face until <laughs> I was, I was trying to sneak away for a long time. Not but uh, you know, um, you know, going back to what you had said, I mean, Rudy uh, or Alex, I saw your videos on 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 YouTube. You know, you've got a couple of videos up there, and obviously everyone knows Kalen. Uh, but you know, that's essentially what I looked for um, when I started. You know, reaching out and you know, diving into the instructor space is, you know, kind of seeing how you guys carry yourself. And, you know, I, I realized that we were all on the same wavelength per se. Um, and then I just took pe- uh, essentially pieces of you guys and I just kind of made it my own, right. I, um, to, to be myself rather than just be, you know, trying to be the next Kalen or trying to be the next Frank or trying to be the next Alex. Um, cause I, I figured, all right. Um, I, I think the only way to navigate through, you know, the civilian sector is not to just try to be someone that I'm not, you know what I mean? Um, so I definitely think that'd be a, a pretty cool podcast to talk about. It's just kind of how to, you know, w- what to look for when, when, uh, or what to prepare yourself for when, uh, you know, taking on the instructor space. Yeah. If you do want to teach like, like the instructor development package, um, that I've taught in the past, that's always, you know, that was always a tricky thing because, like, okay, well, what do you teach? Like, what, how do you teach somebody how to teach? And that's, that's something that is so overlooked in our community. Like being able to produce a good teacher is very difficult. And the reason that it's very difficult, I think is, you know, we have those, those things that that you just mentioned, Rudy, like humility, ego, and curiosity, like the humility, the ability to manage your own ego while maintaining curiosity is like those three things are beautifully set into one whole thing. And that's, uh, that's important because I truly believe that if you don't have that, if you can't, if you can't wrap your brain around those three things and truly embrace them, you're going to struggle being a teacher because you're, you're going to continue. Like we see it a lot, like military dudes just getting out of the, the military. They're still like super belt fed. They're still knife handing. They're still like talking at you. 
and like, like pushing, pushing the information at you instead of like talking to you as another, as another person, as another individual human being that learns in a different way than everybody else. And, and like, you know, we, we learned the systems approach to training, right? The, the SAP process from formal school instructor course. And if, if I can just give this master lesson file to Joe shit, the Ragman, he can teach the fundamentals of, of precision rifle marksmanship. And you're just like, you know, dude, wrong fucking answer. It doesn't work that way. Um, you could sure teach the core. Like you could teach like all of the steps, but that's about as deep as you're going to get. You're not going to get the, the intimate understanding of the why behind all of those points, because there's no context there. There's no, like that person does not understand. They, they haven't been in front of hundreds of people, hundreds of people to try to get all of the hundreds of those people to understand the same thing, the end state goal. And, and that's the mark. I, I truly believe that's the mark of a good teacher. There's somebody that can, that can do that successfully. We got asked for years to do a hyper instructor course for law enforcement, like years and we wouldn't do it. Um, I was just like, bro, if you, if you want to be an instructor, that's like, that's between you and Jesus. <laughs> like, but, you know, like you, you know, when you are ready to instruct a piece of paper does not, does not do that. Like, I can't tell you that you are, you know, ominous dominus, you are go on and teach, you know what I mean? And it wasn't until we had a, a, a good friend of ours, you know, has been a career sniper in law enforcement, be like, look, dude, they're either going to you or they're going somewhere else. So here's your chance to get a dude who can now kind of, you know, if all he learned just to regurge what you're saying, at least you're having a good effect. Right. And, you know, then we're like, okay, that's how we kind of, we looked at it. Like, hey, how do we set these guys up to best go back and prep their dudes to come to a basic course or an advanced course or, or whatever they do. But yeah, man, that idea of being an instructor and, and like, it's not a piece of paper. It's not a cert. It's like, a, you have to like absolutely have confidence in yourself and your knowledge of the, the information and then your ability to deliver it. And then you need to hone it. Like you need to work on the, like how you're communicating, delivering it, not just what you're, you're delivering. Yep. I use, I try to use the litmus tests of like, people that have absolutely zero, zero knowledge on the subject. Um, case in point, teaching, teaching my wife how to shoot. Um, she's not a gun person, doesn't, didn't know anything about guns. <clears throat> and so if I can, if I can communicate, if I can put her in that four or five day package and get her to meet all of those learning objectives and then execute the practical application to the standard put, then that's the, def that's the definition of a, a successful curriculum in my personal opinion. Like I think a lot of times in our world, people rely as a teachers or instructors, they rely on, on implied knowledge or they, re they rely on an assumption of knowledge. And I think that's a real full, I think that is a fundamental flaw of at least on the Marine Corps side of the house, their current, their current curriculum. There's too much reliance on implied knowledge that when you come to this course that you should already have a baseline. Well, then you're not teaching a basic level fucking course, man. You're teaching something other than that. And so if you can't take a freaking dude from Motor T that 
is an expert rifleman, a first-class PFT, 110 GT score, and make him a sniper, or the curriculum isn't set up for that, then the curriculum is failing. And it's it's not where it needs to be. And so that's- When I went through basic, that was, my, that was my partner. My partner was like a hot fill at the last minute from the, the MACE there, the McMap Center of Excellence like at Quantico. They were like, hey, they have an extra slot. You're a grunt, right? He was like, yeah. He's like, cool. You're going to sniper school on Monday. You want to go get like, your shit pushed in for <laughs> for 13 <laughs> weeks? Oh, <my> <laughs> and the first thing he looks at me and goes, hey, man, I've, I don't know any of I'm, this. I am way me. over my head. And he was like, he was, he was all stud, you know, breeze right through it. But it was like, it was funny because, yeah, you know, I showed up and, you know, I don't, I don't want to ever say that, like, I didn't learn anything there, but I showed up, like, completely prepared to go through that course because my my platoon had gotten me to that point. And mm-hmm. Like Phil was saying earlier, like, you know, when you get back as a hog, everyone's almost like, well, you made it, so now it's – now you need to train the pigs to get ready for their chance in school. And it's like, yeah, no, you're, like, you're also going to be a hog when you go down range. You should probably be training there too, you know? So exactly. it's like – I always thought, like, the DTC, like, I wish they'd had some sort of, like, mobile training course that – just went from platoon to platoon to platoon, like cyclical. And just like, you got a package that was a couple weeks long where it allowed every member of the platoon to, to focus. And the budget was external of your own battalion. And the whole point was just that good hard reset, like biannually, you know, where you're, you're, you're making everybody do the individual tasks and the collective tasks. Um, you know, working some about that or whatever DTC turned into now, I think they changed the name, but, um, yeah, I was always like, man, that would be a really, a really good way to maintain proficiency level of dudes that have been through. Because you guys know how it is in the community. Like, there isn't, there isn't a great track for career progression uh, in the Marine Corps side, uh, in the sniper community. So, like, you might be, you might go through basic course, you might never go to another sniper school again, right? There's a lot of dudes that that's their only school that they went to. Um, you know, I got fortunate and and very lucky to get to like the schools that I did, but. I shouldn't have, you know, <laughs> like I was a strap hanger on a couple of courses that I shouldn't have been at. And it was simply because right place, right time, you know? Um, but for, for those dudes, you know, it's, it's, you, you send them 13 weeks and you just kind of like let them go. It's like, man, that's, that's not it. Yep. I agree. It's one of the, I think one of the benefits of kind of my, my progression, uh, never having gone through the Marine Corps scout sniper program but the army has uh, at least within special forces it's a little bit different um and i when i look back on now i'm kind of really grateful for it because uh, as you know special forces sniper course student you are somebody who's already you're a, you're an operator at that point already so you're taking on an additional task so it's very much what we refer to as kind of a gentleman's course um it's not necessarily a smoke sesh and um when i started teaching there uh there was a lot of talk and kind of discussion about like attrition rates and stuff and one of the things we always aimed for was to uh was to get a high graduation as we possibly could. Um, Because the reality is these dudes are already out there, you know, doing work. And like, this is just simply a skill that they need. Like they've already gone to their selection at this point. Um, How do we we build them up to be who they need to be? Not just, all right, you're not going to make it. That being said, there are, I have had students come through and it's just like honest conversation guy. Like, you are not cut out to be a sniper. Like, yeah. it's just not. 
there's yeah there's definitely spots in that in there because like that's what the selection should be for right the selection the selection is the process that that weeds that that personality out that physical ability out that ability to work as a as a as a active member of a team and and all the things that a selection is supposed to do like my goal is not to fail you my goal is to make you a sniper like that is the whole purpose and so you know we we went through a time where hey man attrition was the mission i can drop all these fools you know <laughs> fuck these pigs and it's just like now you look back and you're like oh we were so wrong we were so wrong and yeah. and and you're just all you're doing is you're hurting your own community you're yeah, hurting exactly. your own community because you are actually creating the legacy that you are eventually going to go have to go back to and now you're going to have to be now you're going to have to witness what you created especially um, that's especially true uh, for us and probably similar you guys have a really small community as well mm -hmm. within the marine corps uh, but for us you know especially like at a group level like there's a pretty good chance that the dudes that you are training or failing or whatever are going to be your teammates. Like yep. literally like they will be on your detachment. So it's, that was like a really eye opening experience that I was kind of grateful for when I was teaching at that point that I've continued to carry on over when I have students that are struggling. I think it's true for any instructor. Like what you really need to look at is take a serious look at why they're struggling you know and how not just like oh you're not gonna make it buddy like this isn't for you but like if i have a student that's struggling guess what like you're just gonna get more one-on-one -on -one personal attention from it until they kind of figure out a way to get around and solve whatever problem is in front of you yeah man i think that's a i think that's a great i think that's a great point to kind of like to kind of like wrap everything up with for at least this episode there's a lot to think about. Like we covered a lot of ground. We, we touched on a lot of stuff that we could e easily <laughs> yeah. deep dive, especially with this group of people to easily. The best. We're very passionate. The best part is this is just the wave tops. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dude, yeah. Exactly. Um, exactly. And yeah, this is the first episode of, of probably many series with us. I think, uh, you know, I think we're all on the same frequency. I think it's good to, you know, hear um, your guys, especially with very limited or zero working experience between, you know, uh, modern day sniper and ridgeline defense, just the commonalities based off of kind of our backgrounds and, you know, where we branched off to, but it's, it's, you know, at least for me and uh, a lot of it is reaffirmation to make sure that, you know, Kaylin and I aren't the only ones just talking about the same shit, right? It's like, you know, when, when someone listens to our podcast, you know, I, I don't want everyone to think it's like, well, they're just saying the same shit, you know, and, and they're like the only ones on, you know, that, that frequency. It's, it's, it's nice to hear that, you know, you guys are on that same operating wavelength over there on the East coast, you know, teaching the same thing, maybe just in different words or whatever. Uh, but you know, I, I definitely liked, especially at the beginning of the podcast, when you guys talked about, uh, with, with your training, you guys are focused strictly on, you know, gunfighting, not saying that, you know, someone that comes to your class can't, maybe, you know, just get that solid foundation of basic fundamentals to get them, you know, let's say prepared to go to, let's say a, a precision rifle competition, or maybe take a, uh, a long range hunting shot, even though that's not your guys' bread and butter. I'm sure that, you know, with fundamentals being the same, 
you know, they, they'll still be successful in those parts of, you know, whatever, you know, they put their application of long range shooting in. Indeed. I'm hoping Caitlin's backcountry hunting courses. So that's, uh, I'm hoping that I'm not just dragging the boat anchor on that, uh, on that excursion. <laughs> it's literally the favorite, this is my favorite course to teach, man. It's, it's a lot of fun. I dig it. Uh, I don't even know if we're going to be able to run them this year with all this bullshit that's going on, but it's, um, we're kind of in a holding pattern right now, but man, well, what- incredibly lucky. Like my six year old is infatuated with hunting and fishing awesome. and fishing. But like I said, I didn't grow up hunting or anything. So I'm like, well, shit, I, I got to learn this. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, so I can teach it to him cause uh, I can teach him to shoot, but like, man, I, I, I don't want to like stifle his, his desire at all because it's, it's what I want to do when I was a kid. And I just didn't have the opportunity. And like, you know, I, you know, I had the ability to, to give him that opportunity. So I'm like, all right, can't screw this up. Like the kid doesn't, doesn't even know what an Xbox is, but he wants to go hunting. We're going to make this happen. <laughs> You're in a good place. Alex. <laughs> That's awesome, man. This was a great conversation guys. I appreciate both of you guys take a time out of your day for this. And, and I'm sure all of the listeners are going to appreciate it too. And like we said, like we talked about, this is going to be the first of many, I guaranteed because uh, these are the conversations that we like to have and put, put real information out there for people to consume. So thanks for coming. This is awesome, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, if you guys are on the East Coast, uh, uh, you guys want to plug yourself real quick, um, you know, kind of your your social media, uh, you know, website or whatever, any kind of classes you guys coming up, especially for our East Coast listeners. Yep. So we're online at RidgelineShooting.com. We're on uh, all the, uh, I guess what the kids do, the the Instagram at Ridgeline Defense, Facebook at, basically if you just Google Ridgeline and anything sniper related, we're going to pop up. Um, but yeah, that's, that's us right now. We're, uh, we're kind of having a reshuffle schedule with, uh, the DOD travel ban and everything that's sort of come down, uh, with regard to, uh, to this COVID-19 thing, you know, we're, we're having to sort of like shift around like the entire back end of the year now, um, as is I'm sure everybody else. So, uh, it is, you know, it is what it is, but you know, we'll all make the best of it. Um, but you know, I really appreciate you guys having us on. Uh, I really like what you guys are doing with uh, Modern Day Sniper. It's it's exactly what the community needs uh, across all all segments of this community. So I really appreciate y'all doing the work and uh, you know having us on. Yeah, man, this isn't this is an inclusive. This is inclusive, right? This is not an exclusive thing. We want we we want to to be able to bring outside subject matter experts in like yourself so that we're not sitting here in in our own echo chamber you know coming up with our own bullshit so it's really important right on guys well thanks a bunch and uh until next time we will see you later